This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, JL KO'd while the Aussie women retain the ashes. Are the Tasmania Jack Jumpers the real deal? The Kansas State High School Activities Association throws up an air ball, and we get ready for Super Bowl 56. Oh, we sure do, Stewie. Let's go. It's 9.15 on Tuesday, the 8th of the 2nd. I normally say February, but it is the 2nd. It is. As we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, firstly, it's 9.16 now, so... Oh, time's changed, Stewie. Yeah, time's changed. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> All right, we've got to start off with old mate Novak. Oh, yeah, Novak's. It well. seems... It's well, yeah, not potentially. We have to drop the X and put the K back. It was only a matter of time before Novak Djokovic prioritised his achievements over his morals. <laughs> as soon as the dust settled on Rafa Nadal winning his 21st Grand Slam to go back ahead of Novak, well, it seems he's had a little bit of a change of heart. He is no longer willing to stand behind his beliefs and will all in likelihood get vaccinated so he can play in the remaining Grand Slams this year. What a surprise. So basically spread misinformation to your millions of fans, then turn your back on it in case it impacts your legacy. What an absolute piece of shit he is. Ain't no party kill nobody. Mm. Mm. Ah, honestly <laughs> then look the other thing that's kind of going on in the world as much as we've said we're not going to watch it i've caught a little bit of the winter olympics it's kind of been on in the background a few times been a couple of things going on obviously we've seen the the great moment already with jakara anthony winning gold in the women's freestyle mogul skiing that looks like the most painful sport to be a part of well just like knees bouncing up and down yeah and did you hear about the artificial ice and how apparently it's much harder on your body if you fall down than the normal ice is. And a lot of them did. There were quite a few fancies that fell over quite early, you know, even in the qualifying. So, uh, look, a hell of an effort from Jakara. It was, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty brutal sport. People that haven't watched it, I highly recommend having a look. Just the strain that would put on your entire body. Oof. And on that artificial snow, apparently it is the equivalent of drinking water for 100 million people. It took that much. Wow. Yeah. So the environmental impacts are interesting. Mm, yeah. Not in a good way. No. Speaking of mogul skiing, how funny would it be if it was the media mogul skiing? The uh, <laughs> like Rupert Murdoch and um, <laughs> Kerry Stokes, the re reanimated body of Kerry Packer, Weekend at Bernie style. Oh my God. I was like, where are you going? I just, whenever I hear the word mogul, I oh, just yeah. think of media mogul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Oh my goodness, mate. That would be funny watching those guys trying to go down that hill. <laughs> <laughs> a few broken hips. <laughs> It'd be like the thing you'd see in a, in a cartoon where they just end up in one of those big, <laughs> big snowballs rolling down and then they crash into the bottom part and it just explodes. Uh, oh, dear. So yes, media mogul, get that at the next Olympics. Yep, please. Now, the other interesting one was Tess Cody winning bronze in the women's snowboard slope style. I actually saw her doing an interview in what was basically a balaclava. It was, I had this moment where I was like, when your event is at midday, but you're robbing a house at noon. <laughs> That's what it kind of felt like. Uh, well, apparently the windshields have been really bad. Mm. And like some events, people are saying, eh, maybe we should have postponed these because it's that fucking cold. Yeah. yeah, I held back on fucking for a second there yeah. and then I realised we swear. Why, so, yeah, well, how would you do that? I don't know. There you go. I might chuck in here, Shui, as well. Zoe sadowski Sinnott, the first ever gold medal for New Zealand in snowboard slope style. I know that we have a few New Zealand listeners, probably mainly for the NBL, but uh, yeah, hats off to them. Shout out. Yeah. 
Been some other odd moments. The Russian women's hockey team refusing to hand over standard COVID testing data. Mm. And then the Canadian team basically refusing to come out to play them. Good on them, I say. Yeah, absolutely. Dodgy as. And then unfortunately, the game had to go ahead with them wearing face masks. Yeah, which, that's oof, that's terrible. Isn't it just? Uh. Russia. <laughs> ROC. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, she's, <laughs> true. Shouldn't call them Russia. They're the, what are they? The Russian Olympic committee i think it is cats yeah yeah oh maybe yeah that'd yeah. be better mm. yeah the other thing that i thought was quite interesting the five competitors in the inaugural ski jumping mixed team competition disqualified for wearing loose fitting suits which were deemed to provide an unfair advantage in the air which kind of makes sense but were deemed perfectly suitable the day before mm. so yeah moving the goalposts a little bit yeah that's it and you know some pretty key competitors as well competitors from germany austria japan and norway I don't remember any of the names, apologies to all of them, but I think there was one of the former champions in there as well. Obviously, all very disappointed. Some very direct messages for, for those disqualified. And uh, yeah, they haven't had any issues with this in the past. So I, I just, yeah, as you said, why was it okay one day, but not the next? Thank You've got to give people time. They're not intentionally cheating. They would have just used different suits if mm. they could have. Yeah. But probably the worst of it all was a video of a Dutch reporter being dragged away by Chinese security right in the middle of a live broadcast. Yeah, I didn't see this until you mentioned Well, I still haven't, but you terrifying. mentioned it. I didn't even hear about it. It was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, this person did such a great job of trying to speak to them in, I believe it's in Mandarin there, but uh, yeah, just didn't want a bar of it and dragged this poor poor person away. And yeah, well. They crossed back to the studio and this, you know, this reporter sitting in, I'm assuming in Amsterdam somewhere, just like, what do we do? Yeah, yeah. So not live very, television. Yeah, no joke. In a communist stage. Oh, goodness <laughs> me. Yeah, look, I'm the same in at risk of preempting the what I miss. I haven't watched much at all, uh, but I've kept an eye on the news. So I dare say this is almost the shit show that we predicted Japan would be in the in yeah. the summer Olympics. <laughs> yeah, we were a year early. Yeah, well, that's right. We're, there's been scary crashes in the downhill skiing. There's been speed skaters pushing, pulling, in one case, even flicking the skate of another competitor. I don't know if you saw that. There was a, another Bradbury. Yeah, today. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was yeah. a person from Mexico. There just, you go. Yeah, just waltzed through. Yep. And he was in the commentary team. Yeah, yeah, yes, he has. <laughs> he has been. Yeah. So good. So there's been this disqualifications of plenty, as you mentioned. Athletes in isolation getting food that's considerably worse than what you'd get on an airplane. There's Beverly Zhu, the US come Chinese athlete in the figure skating, and the ensuing social media censorship when she had a bit of a fall because people were pissed off that she didn't win them a medal, basically. <laughs> And then the other one that's really dodgy is Uyghur Muslim, and I'm really going to struggle with this name, Dinajia Yilam Mujiang, apologies, carrying the Olympic torch, even though she finished 43rd in the skiathlon race on, on Saturday. And normally the people that do these sort of things are very prominent. I don't want to take anything away from her as an athlete, but normally the people that carry flags, torches, they're normally very prominent athletes. Mm. So possibly political. Oh, I mean, <laughs> just when, a little bit. Yeah, when there's people locked up. I mean, it's yeah. It's, Look, it's, and, I, and I and I laugh, but the plight of the Uyghur people. Oh, it's just, terrible! It's terrible, it's, and it's yeah. it's it's so transparent what they're trying to do. Like they're not fooling anyone, China. No. You are not fooling anyone. No. And then the other one, whew, Jordan Spieth at Pebble Beach. My God, he's a Pebble, rich man. Pebble Gorge. Well, I tell you what, if he's plant foot was a little bit further the pebbles would have started falling and the whole bloody side of the cliff would have fallen mm. what was he thinking he was thinking i can make par from here and he did <laughs> so oh. full credit to him honestly people if you have not seen this footage i highly recommend searching 
Jordan Spieth Cliff. That's all you have to search. And it is it is one of the scariest golf-related videos I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Oh, it's it, his caddy didn't want him to take the shot, but he did. He took the shot and then immediately started backtracking. Like ran Basically, as he's hitting it, he's running backwards. Yeah, it's a miracle that he oh, had contact with the ball. It's crazy. And then finally, I heard a really interesting discussion about the Baseball Hall of Fame following on from our chat last week. On the February 3rd episode of the Bill Simmons podcast, he had Mike Sher on. And, and it was a really, if people are interested in the kind of the politics of the Baseball Hall of Fame, I definitely recommend they check that out. What'd you miss, mate? Uh, look, fair bit. I mean, unfortunately, didn't see much of the women's ashes. I mean, it was basically over after the test, but I would have liked to have seen a little bit of the ODIs. Um, unfortunately, on top of that, I did miss a couple of the NBL games. Again, would have liked to have seen a lot of them, but I did catch the ones that mattered. How about yourself? Yeah, there's not enough hours in the day, is there? Like, I, I unfortunately missed the Jack Jumpers and Melbourne United game. I had the best of intentions. I was going to try and watch two back-to-back last night at a very late hour when I got back from the quiz. I only managed to get through Illawarra and the Phoenix, though, which was a very good game as well. So, mm-hmm. And then, as I mentioned, I haven't watched much Winter Olympics. Maybe when it gets back to 40 degrees again and I don't want to feel hot, maybe I'll watch just because, you know, when you're watching snow, somehow you feel a little bit cooler. But, yeah. Do you know the other thing I missed, actually? What's that? The Pro Bowl dodgeball game. <laughs> That's the best thing about the entire Pro Bowl weekend. Oh, dear. Honestly. So, Stewie, as you mentioned, the women's ashes have now wrapped up the Aussies winning again. I'll tell you what, it was a terrible, terrible ashes campaign for both the men and women. I think they were like 0 for 16 or 0 for 17 across all matches, apart from when they were playing each themselves, basically, like an (laughs) A-side. Well, they got draws. They would have found a way to, yeah. They they, they both got a draw in the test. Oh, sorry, yeah, draws, yes. Got a draw in the test, but lost 14 as well. That's right. Not great. Yeah, that's right. So in the ODIs that have been played since we recorded last, in match one, Australia made 209, Beth Mooney 73 off 91. Catherine Brunt, the pick of the bowlers, three for 40 for the Poms. England made 178 in reply. Siva made 45. Heather Knight's golden duck, LBW to Darcy Brown, who picked up four for 34. Very key wicket. Very important play. peach of a delivery. Yes. Oh, it was great. She was brought onto the attack really late too on a couple of occasions. But gee, she made the most of it when she did come in. Match two is the one I saw the most of. England made 129. Talia McGrath again, three for four in 3.2 overs. Elise Perry had three for 12 off seven overs and 40 with the bat. Definitely pick of the players in that one. Then finally, match three, England 163. Tammy Beaumont made 50. Annabelle Sutherland picked up four for 31 in nine overs for the Aussies. Australia reached the total in the 33rd over with only two down, landing the pick of the batters with 57 not out. And I know we have the same note here. Basically, they did a tremendous job of sharing the wealth, didn't they? There were different people standing up at different times. Yep. And that was the first thing I noticed was in every single one of those matches, a different person sort of led the way with the bat and then a different person led the way with the ball. That's not to say that nobody else did anything, but every single time the top scorer and the top wicket taker was different. So, yeah, great to see Alyssa Healy finally made some runs in yes, the third. Yes, yes. Well, in, I mean, she had some 20s and then she had a 40-something. She had yeah. a 40 in the, yeah. in the third, which was obviously well and truly overdue having that 42. And, yeah, look, I just want to quickly go back, though, to Darcy Brown. She's 18. Yes. 18. And if you look at the wickets, I mean, obviously taking four is great, but it's the four that she took. So, obviously, we've already talked about just this perler of an outswinger to trap Heather Knight in front for a duck. She got rid of Tammy Beaumont. She got rid of Nat Siver. And that was a cracking court and bold for, for that one to get rid of Siver. Oh, there was some great fielding across all the matches. Meg Lanning's catch in that second one. Yes. Whew. 
So obviously that was a great start. As you mentioned, the all-round masterclass from Elise Perry in the second. And on that, Stewie, Elise Perry, oh, and that straight six she hit. That mm. straight drive for six in that third one. Delicious. Oh, it's magnificent. But she now leads the Ashes in runs and wickets. Ah. So talk about being a great all-rounder, overtaking Charlotte Edwards and Catherine Brunt, respectively. And so. when you think about it, she's actually had a fairly quiet series by her standards. So Well, she didn't even play in the T20s. Yeah. So, yeah. So that says a lot. And then, yeah, we saw, again, another glimpse into the future with Talia McGrath and how amazing that she has been over the last couple of years, really. So it's looking really good going into a major tournament. You could probably say the Australian World Cup runneth over. <laughs> consistently seven bowlers who can take wickets they bat down to nine sometimes ten honestly this team okay they may not necessarily make huge scores all the time the 209 in the first was very much under par but geez i'll tell you what just like the Perth scorchers did in the bbl they defended they can defend anything yep. yep so very very good signs ahead and yeah we can feel confident going into it definitely so, Shui, at the quiz last night, the team that won, funnily enough, also had the best team name. Justin, inverted commas, JobKeeper Langer. <laughs> <laughs> and, well... Now he's on JobSeeker. That was ironic, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. maybe it should have been JobSeeker. That yeah. would have been a bit, yeah. Should yeah. have been. But even so, still pretty good. You'd have to almost argue this is a darker day for Cricket Australia than Sandpaper Gate. Oh, wow. That's a huge call. Well... I mean, when you look at what Justin Langer has done off the back of that, the way that he was pushed out, the radio silence, all, and which we'll talk about all this stuff. Well, Usman Khawaja, the one who apparently butted heads with him, was one of the few to come out and speak really glowingly of him. Yeah, yeah. It's only been him and Alex Carey so yeah, far, yeah. which is really surprising. Yeah. So there was a couple of tweets that I kind of wanted to run through that I think sum this whole thing up. And for anyone who somehow missed this, he's tendered his resignation earlier in the week. Basically, Glenn Mitchell on Twitter, at Mitchell Glenn, posted Cricket Australia saying they offered Langer a six-month extension to his current contract and that he would not be extended beyond that. So he could win the Test Series in Pakistan and successfully defend the T20 World Cup and then guarantee to be axed. No wonder he walked away. It's crazy, isn't it? So when you look at it with the recency of it, you think about nearly a whitewash ashes and a T20 World Cup that no one had Australia winning. Like no one, including us. I barely had us getting into the semifinals. I, I didn't have us making the finals. No. Not at all. And our form prior to that was terrible. Hmm. But can I tell you his record overall? Because this is interesting. So I can't remember if it was Gideon Haig or Peter Layla on cricket, etc. But I heard, so he was 15 and 7 in tests, 25 and 22 in ODIs, or Australia was under his reign, and 26 and 25 in T20s with an overseas test record of 2 and 3. So, yes, he's been great lately, or the team has been great lately, but his overall record is maybe not as good as you think. Yeah, but it's also worth noting that he basically inherited a shit show and had to build that up. For oh, no doubt. So, no doubt. I think he was hard done by. No doubt about that at all. And then from Matthew Passmore, at Matthew Passmore 8, Justin Langer, 20 years of international cricket, not a bad word said about him. Five years of coaching at state level, holds team to elite standard, not a bad word said about him. Three years coaching at Cricket Australia, holds the team to an elite standard. He's moody and unapproachable. Yeah, yeah, I saw that one too. Yeah, it's, it's not, interesting, isn't it's it? It's not great. And look, I thought he was very classy in his kind of walking away little message he put out there. He, he basically said, I know I'm intense at times. I'm sorry if that rubs people the wrong way. It's not meant to hurt anyone or anything like that. I mean, 
bit of intensity never hurt, I would have thought. But he pushes guys because he understands what it takes to win. He was part of the untouchable side from the late 90s, early 2000s. They won Which is... 16 consecutive tests twice. And that's why they're all coming out to, to back him, Absolutely. basically. I mean, it's been almost unanimous, all the old, old guard, well, recent old guard coming out, yeah, in support. Well, you had Adam Gilchrist, Shane Warne, his, the Batman in their opening partnership in Matthew Hayden. Yeah, yep. Mitchell Johnson came out as well. Which maybe a little too strong. But maybe. but <laughs> Very scathing of Pat Cummins. Very scathing. But I think it's justifiable because in all of this, this is, the, I think, the worst part about it is how quiet the playing group has been. I don't care how much you don't want a bloke in charge of the team you play for. You respect him for what he's achieved with the team. The only people we've seen anything from, as I said before, is Alex Carey and Usman Kawaja. Nothing from Pat Cummins, nothing from Stephen Smith, nothing from David Warner. Oh, radio silence. And again, on the Cricket Etc. podcast, one of the blokes, I can't remember which one, made the really good point of Manus Labuschagne was a fringe player. JL was an opener. He must have helped his batting. And now he's number one batsman in the world. Like, that's not a complete coincidence. JL must have helped Manus's development too. And now, yeah, he's magnificent. So, So... Alex Carey was asked by Channel 7 if there was a rift. And he said, I don't think so. Everyone respects the man highly. He's obviously an Australian cricket legend. I'm a little surprised, but it's now about the stability of the team and trying to win games moving forward. Kawaja went on to say that only Cummins and Aaron Finch can end speculation over a player revolt. It's like, it's just, it's sickening Mm. to have a guy that's done so much for Australian cricket over the last, what, 30 years, just be completely pushed to the side and disrespected like that. And look, obviously, we're both from WA. We grow up watching him. We, we've obviously, we love the guy, not just because he's from WA, but just because he is a great guy and he's a winner. I had the pleasure of meeting him in Sri Lanka at that World Cup. You did too, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the hell was I? Uh, you guys were in the seats. Just bump into jail. <laughs> yeah, you got a photo with him. Yeah. Oh, quality. Yeah. And yet, through all of that, the squad has been listed for the tour of Pakistan. And I want them to lose now. <laughs> it feels so weird, but I don't give a fuck. And it's such a shame because Ashton Agar, Mitch Marsh, Josh Inglis, Cam Green. But I'm so pissed off by this whole thing that I just, I do, I almost hope they get rolled. Devil's advocate here. If someone has a approach that the majority of players, including the captain, don't like, even if they've had success, should they be there? Like if they can bring someone in who's a bit more player-friendly and they get the results, it's hard to argue with that. Well, it, I mean, we, don't, we won't know until the it, person is named and, and the is results it. are happening. But That's why I think it's easy to argue because obviously we've seen what JL's done. I, I suspect looking back on this, they may regret this. It might be a careful what you wish for kind yeah. of moment. Well, it will be interesting to see. Look, and I'm just playing devil's advocate because I, I would prefer him to stay in the role as well. And an interesting thing... On the the player revolt kind of thing, apparently Mitchell Johnson was one of the most outspoken in the Mickey Arthur homework gate scandal. So mm. he's it's a bit of a pot calling the kettle black in that mm. situation a little bit. So, but if yeah. we, if we look in the middle, who did we have? We had Darren Lehman. He was a little bit more of a player's coach, a little bit more of a lad, and look what happened. Nearly blew the entire fucking thing apart. <laughs> so this is where I kind of look at it and I say, these guys have got to be more professional, okay? Yes, he's going to ride you. Yes, he's going to be emotional. Yes, he's going to push you. But that's because he knows what you guys are capable of. And look what happens. He pushes you towards 
freaking ultimate victory, a victory that we have never had before in a T20 World Cup. He's made this team look menacing again. It's a side that looks like they can go into the subcontinent and actually do some damage for once. Maybe against some teams. Oh, look, maybe not against India. Who knows? But, but yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 a shame. I wouldn't be surprised if in 20 years' time a lot of the players reflect and say, you know what, he actually helped my career and I didn't appreciate him. But time will tell on that one. And it seems like JL might not be out of a job for long. If I'm England, I'd give him a fucking castle and basically whatever he wants to bring that winning. <laughs> well, he did say he wanted to coach for 10 years and it was only a few. So if, if that's his timeline, it depends if he wants to leave Australia. But I, I mean, who knows? He might come back to the Scorchers or something. I mean, there's worse places he can go than England. Oh, of course. Yeah, well, they need reformation, don't they? So, yeah. I mean, he's shown you can rebuild a battered nation. Now is the time to strike if you're England. And honestly, I hope they do. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I'll throw a buttload of money at him. Why yeah. not? Now, just quickly, a little bit on the under-19s World Cup. As I predicted, the Australians did give up a very big total to India of 290 behind a runner ball 110 from Captain Yash Dool and 94 from Sheikh Rashid. And really, the Aussies were never in it. Lachlan Shaw made a 51, Campbell Kellaway and Corey Miller made 30s, but no one really got into fourth gear. And the Aussies were all out for 194. So not exactly the semi-final they were hoping for. The final itself was a bit of a non-event. England made 189. It was actually India's pace attack, surprisingly. I tell you what, look out world. Like I remember that interview on the great cricketer with Greg Chappell, where he said, basically, if India got their shit together, they'd have the top, what, three, four teams in the world or something based on population. India could be a very, very scary, even more scary cricketing nation in a few years. Hmm. So Raj Bawa and Ravi Kumar were the two that absolutely ripped the palms apart. Bawa had five for 31, Kumar four for 34. India dawdled in reply. They made the total with 14 balls remaining. Rashid and Nishant Sindhu both made 50s. And India are your champions. And England were probably thinking, oh, please, after those Ashes campaigns, just give us this one. And they fell at the final. (laughs) Now, in the third place game, Australia chased down Afghanistan's total of 201 with five balls to spare. Ijaz Ahmad Ahmadzai was superb for the Afghans, 81 off 79. It was a spinning all-rounder, though. Nivathan Radhakrishnan, who starred three for 31 off his 10 and a key 66. Australia kind of limped over the line, the two wickets in hand at the end. Well, Afghanistan is going to be a much better cricketing nation as time goes on too, which is great for the health of the World Cup. Potentially. Oh? Because then we get into what is actually probably the biggest story. Yes, well, this is a point. So apparently on the way back to the Caribbean, the flight's gone through London Heathrow and then they were going to basically head down through Dubai and then back up to Kabul. Four members of the touring party, including a player, stayed in London and it's unsure whether they're looking to apply for asylum. And here lies the dilemma. Sport has done so much for the people of Afghanistan. They look up to these players, but then you've got the Taliban hanging over your head. I don't know what you do. I don't know if these guys have a plan. What a scary position to be in. You have to be very desperate to do something like this. Mm. Very desperate. Because, of course, they're leaving behind friends and family. Yep. It's it's huge, isn't it? It is. It's it's a sad it's sad that people feel that they have to do that. But and this is where sometimes we just have to remember that sport can sometimes be bigger than sport. Yep. Yep. It can really be a lot about the humanity and all of the stuff that's going on in the world. And we didn't really talk about Peng Shui in China with the Winter Olympics as well. I mean, mm. there's there's oh, that just continues to yeah very dicey un- unravel yeah. in all sorts of different directions. Yep. And now. What made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week goes to the overkill from a high school in Kansas. 
everyone who's attended a basketball game before will have likely heard the air ball chant that goes up anytime someone misses everything with a shot. Well, a group of 20 to 30 students were thrown out of a game at Northwest High School for that exact chant, even though it was delivered to a player they all knew and were friends with and who had no issues with it at all. There's an airball sound effect in like NBA Jam and stuff. Yeah. It's that ingrained in the game. It's a part of the vernacular. Exactly. Oh, my God. Now, according to Kansas State High School Activities Association Rule 52, chanting airball or any other type of taunt is considered poor sportsmanship and can result in ejection. The school was apparently enforcing a rule which was there to create a more friendly environment. But as members of the nanny state, Nath, even we would agree that is a step too far. <laughs> so to the kusha and Rule 52... All I can say is, airball. Get out, Stuart. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. So, Nath, unfortunately, we didn't get enough time to talk about the NFL last week, which was a real shame because the playoffs just continued on that ridiculous roller coaster of just amazingly close games. Probably just as well, though, because we still went for nearly two hours last week when we recorded for over two. Yeah, oh, no, no doubt. It, although there were some blowouts in that first wildcard week, there was still that good game in the wildcard week too. It's been a great playoff so far, and let's hope that final game is just as good. But before we get into these two amazing games, Nate, scoring army update. Yes, I've done my research. So you were doubtful that 2-0 was something that had happened before, but it's actually happened five times. <laughs> however, however. Were they forfeits? Most recently, 1938, Chicago defeating Green Bay. Ah, so, so like nearly 100 years, like 80 odd years. So a fair while. Fair while. Yeah. Well, we might actually talk about another 2 nothing game fairly soon. Teaser. Oh, I like the teaser, Stewie. Teaser, yes. teaser for this week in sports. We will, yes. Stick around. So first up, we had the Cincinnati Bengals defeating the Kansas City Chiefs 24 in overtime. Joe Burrow, 250 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Evan McPherson, four or four field goals, including the game winner in overtime. Pat Mahomes, 275 yards, three touchdowns, but two interceptions, the very key one in overtime. Oh, yeah. 13 seconds, a key number. Yeah, well, it took him 13 seconds to complete that comeback against the Bills in the previous round, and it took him 13 seconds to choke away a trip to the Super Bowl. And not many times that a team has won the toss, not won the game in overtime, but we'll get there shortly. Well, it's funny you say that, Nate. I actually had a look at the stat. 12 times now there's been an overtime game in the playoffs. 10 times the team that has won the coin flip has won the actual game. Both times it's been an interception. And by the way, that's a, another pretty bloody good reason that they need to look at those rules. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty clear that it's not a very fair final stanza. No. But, I mean, this was an absolute choke by the Chiefs, yeah? Oh, it was. It was really a tale of two halves. They come out really strong. They were looking like they were going to dominate, and they were dominating initially. But in the second half, I think they only had about 83 yards as a team. Mahomes was dismal. Just just looked like a, a fraction of his former self. Well, I've actually got the QBR ratings for the two halves. Mahomes, 98 as a QBR in the first half. 1.4 in the second half and overtime. Yeah, crazy. That stuff. really speaks to your point. Yeah. And and I think the momentum shifted actually at the end of the first half because the Chiefs left points on the board. They should have kicked a field goal or they could have managed the clock a little bit better and maybe gone for a, another touchdown. But that really was pretty key in the end because obviously it went to overtime and then Cincinnati won. So it's, it's quite amazing. It, it just goes to show how important 
entering that window is when you have that window. Because the Chiefs now, and Michael Wilbon always talks about it on PTI, he refers to it as the dynasty of one. Because in this modern world, we're so quick to label a team a dynasty. It happened with the Seattle Seahawks a few years ago with Russell Wilson. He's done bugger all since. He'll probably leave the team. I wouldn't want him on my team, to be honest. I think there's probably better guys out there. Maybe not Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll get to that game. Um, But they've had four consecutive AFC conference championship games at home. They've been to the Super Bowl twice. They've got one win to show for it. So even when you're dominant and even when you have that home field advantage, the opportunities are few and far between. So there'll be a lot of Chiefs fans that are actually looking at this going, wow, one from four. I mean, is Arrowhead the biggest home field advantage in the league? It, it would definitely be one or one A with, funnily enough, Seattle. Seattle is one of the big ones yeah, as well. Okay. Yeah, huge. Pittsburgh Pittsburgh fans are very good too. So is it the noise? that? Because this is the thing, I, I obviously I don't know as much about this as you do. Is it the noise? The noise is huge. So it's very hard for the opposition to communicate. And that's often when play clocks run out or obviously the quarterback has a sound system in his helmet. Often you can see guys kind of gesticulate to the sideline saying, I don't know what you, what play you've given me because it's too loud. So yes, fan noise is huge. That's weird because every time I hear Mahomes, it, all it sounds like he's just doing is, it's just, that's all I can hear. And I'm like, is he just running? Well, it's just as much about the cadence though. Yeah. And his team knows what's coming generally. So so it's it's just for his teammates. Yeah. Mm. It's not for anyone else. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, another really good game. Kansas City, we kind of speculated last week. They looked like they were going to maybe waltz to another Super Bowl, let alone maybe another Super Bowl title. But all season, I was a little bit iffy about them. Pat Mahomes was very up and down. They started the season three and four, and they did really well to, to make their way to get home field advantage in the conference championship game when Tennessee didn't get that far. But it didn't feel like the Chiefs' year this year, and I've been pretty consistent with that. And look, to be fair to them, I mean, if you look at those four losses, the Titans finished the number one seed. The Bills were probably one of the unluckiest teams in the entire league not to to get there, and then the Chargers and the Ravens, who decent teams didn't make didn't make the playoffs, but were decent, horrible on the fringe of the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, you could sort of argue that okay, they lost four games early, but they weren't all games that they really sort of should have been winning. Although I guess the Titans was 27 to 3. So that was a bit of a blowout. No, they certainly did pick up from there. And had they won this game, who knows? They might have gone in as Super Bowl favourites, but you got to win the game. Do you know what's kind of funny, though? What's that? Their only loss after that was a three point loss to the Bengals. Yes. Well, the Bengals beat them. So this was funnily enough, it was the weekend of the bogey teams. So Cincinnati have won six of their last seven against the Chiefs. Cincinnati have not been a very good team. So Sports Illustrated picked them to only win four games all season. And look, in fairness, most people, not many people would have had Cincinnati. I know in, I think it was, what, episode 84, I did say they were a sneaky Super Bowl pick. So I'm not ridiculously surprised. Jamar Chase, I mean, breaking rookie records. He is an incredible player. Incredible. And T Higgins is a very good second piece as well that probably doesn't get enough love on their team. But hey, forget four games in a season. If they win the Super Bowl, they've won four games in the postseason. So very impressive. Yeah. Joe Burrow, great to watch. Part of the reason why I said they're a sneaky Super Bowl pick is because he played so well in that Ravens game late in the season where he had like over 500 yards. It was crazy. Do you know what he looks like? If Macaulay Culkin hadn't got drug fucked. <laughs> His 20s. <laughs> That's such a sad what if. Sorry, yes, it is. Oh, McCall. No, he's, he's done all right. He's, he's bounced back. He's bounced back. Yeah. He's bounced it just back. was a rough decade for yeah, him. Yeah, I think he had a kid recently, actually. Yeah. Well, hopefully he remembers to take the kid on holiday. 
<laughs> Kevin! Yes. yes. Do you know, that mum is so negligent for them to do it again in number two. It's like, fool mm. me once, fool me twice. Like You can't get fooled again. Well, I think I think they should probably be taken to child protection that second time. Wow, well, to be fair, they had like 15 kids. Yeah, they? I don't care. It's easy to forget one. Well, no, it's... Jeez, oh, don't you have 15, Stewie? That's an insight <laughs> into your... Done with two, mate. <laughs> two is enough. Uh, but yeah, no, look really great win by Cincinnati. They seem to not know the history, the fact that they've never won a road playoff game prior to this season. They've been to the Super Bowl three times, though. They've lost the first two, but it's just such a great story. Burrow playing for a team that he only lived about two and a half hours away from as a kid. One more to go. We'll see. And in the other game, the LA Rams 20 defeat the San Francisco 49ers 17. Matt Stafford, 337 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Really, really key performance from Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr. They combined for 20 receptions, 255 yards and two touchdowns. OBJ has been a massive pickup for them, huh? Oh, he absolutely has. And he's been excellent in this playoffs as well. Really good. And obviously they had the uh, Robert Woods injury, which was big. And I thought it was going to derail their season. But they had the good timing of Odell being cut by Cleveland and he's kind of stepped in, not a like-for-like replacement completely, a bit more of a skilled player, not as good as a blocker. But yeah, great, huge pickup. And then Cooper Cup. I mean, two touchdowns and 11 receptions and 150 of those yards that you mentioned, or about 150. I mean, he really showed why he was my pick for MVP this season. Not only those stats, he converted six third downs, including a huge one with scores tied late in the fourth and the Rams... Probably outside field goal range, given Matt Gay's been a bit shaky. So he was magnificent once again. It was his 13th game with 100 receiving yards this season, which is the most all-time. Now, yes, it is a bit of a longer season. Yes, it's a bit of longer playoffs. But, hey, that's still a fact. Still no one can take that away from Still got to do it. And then for the 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo in his last game for the 49ers. <laughs> Many are saying. 232 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. That interception was terrible. So that was when they still had a chance to win at the very end. It was bad. It was pretty bad. It was like that Carson Wentz one where he's like falling dead. Oh, just terrible yeah. earlier in the season. Yeah. Why did I bring up the Colts? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, again, another tale of two halves. Uh, San Francisco started really strong and the Rams just hung in, hung in. And look, if it weren't for a dropped interception, we might be talking about the 49ers. We might be talking about an all Californian Super Bowl. Well, we should talk about that. So probably the key moment in the entire match when you look at oh, it. Oh, it's huge. So huge. about nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Down three. You've got the 49ers. Well, you'd say the 49ers up 17-14 oh, yeah, yeah, at the yeah. time. And basically, uh, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better pass to intercept. It literally had no one within five feet of him. He had two bites of the cherry. Two too. bites of the cherry. Yeah. And the, the field position that would have then given the 49ers, they would have been on probably about their 40-yard line. Yeah, so, from memory, they were already nearly in field goal range, mm. I think. So, yeah, that was huge. So, that I mean, obviously, a field goal still only puts them up six. So, they'd probably still be wanting to drive for a touchdown, but it makes a big difference. It takes that field goal option out. Well, it's only a three-point game in the end, so six <laughs> might have been enough. True. So, yeah, really, really crazy how... Yeah, something like that, which, I mean, the, the commentators were already calling it an interception before it was dropped. Do you know what's worse? The very next play, 30-yard reception to Odell Beckham and then a 15-yard penalty on top of that. Half a field nearly. Mm. It's so funny how a mistake can lead to the ensuing... It just, it really dug the knife in. And that's why, in many ways, why the Rams won. Mm. Jimmy was okay at times, but 
at other times, like I said a few weeks ago, he looked like a walking interception just waiting to happen. Kyle Shanahan, he's an offensive genius. Debo Samuel had another massive game. But how's this for a stat? He's been outscored 53 to nothing in fourth quarters in his last three playoff losses. Jesus. So for a guy who's an offensive genius, geez, when they lose, they lose big. Mm. <laughs> and they didn't lose big in, as far as margin is concerned, but they lost the game. Mm. So talking of windows... San Francisco really want to sort out that that quarterback position because their window is open, but it won't stay open for long. And so for the first time in 19 years, we have a Super Bowl without Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, or the 49ers. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and only the second time quarterback selected number one uh, facing off in a Super Bowl. Mm. The last time being Peyton Manning versus Cam Newton in the Broncos-Carolina one. Yeah, so that's an interesting stat as well. Mm. Just quickly, Stu, one to make you feel old. Sean McVay, the coach of the Rams, is in his second Super Bowl. He's 36. I don't need Sean McVay to feel old. <laughs> Getting out of bed every morning does that. <laughs> he's nearly three years younger than us and he's already head coach at two Super Bowls. Crazy. Yeah, I hate the guy. <laughs> so let's get to our picks. Who you got, Nath? Oh, man, this is hard. So LA's defense is better. You have to wonder if maybe Cincinnati's offense is better in the fact that they're in really good form. There's injuries on both sides for LA. Tyler Higby's out, potentially. Uzoma for Cincinnati. It's actually two of the more flawed teams in a Super Bowl. Often there's one maybe gets there by a bit of luck. This year, they've caught fire at the right time, I feel like. I really look forward. I can't remember the last time I looked forward to a Super Bowl. Just fucking pick a team, Nathan. (laughs) Stop sitting on the fence and pick a team. (laughs) Look. Shit. All right. I'm going to pick the Rams on the basis that that offensive line for Cincinnati. And look, Joe Burrow, he's been amazing. He impresses me more and more every week. What he did with his feet in that game is stuff I haven't seen from him before. But he was sacked so many times in the game prior to this one. That Rams defensive line is very menacing. Aaron Donald, one of the best players in the whole league. Von Miller, been to the Super Bowl before. That experience will count for a lot. Jalen Ramsey, Floyd. I just think I just think they're going to just get it over the line. I'll say Rams 27-24. All right. I got Cincy 24, LA Rams pie. <laughs> Are you doing that again? No, 24-21 Cincinnati. It's been close most of the playoffs. Why stop now? Jamar Chase, Super Bowl MVP. Two touchdowns and a delightful jig to celebrate each. Okay, yeah, that's good. Mm. I, oh, MVP pick. Good dance to Charleston. Oh, man, MVP pick. I don't, I didn't think of that. I'll say Matthew Stafford because he's the quarterback. Yeah. I, I yeah, I, I hope it's close. I really look forward to it. It could go either way. I would not be at all surprised if since he won. Part of me kind of wants them to win, but I picked a Bills Rams Super Bowl at the start of the year. So if the Rams win, I look good. <laughs> it's fair enough. One thing we won't be doing, though, is attending the game in person, not just because we can't get across to America, but because we can't afford $9,372 for a ticket or $147,000 for a pair of VIP tickets on the 50-yard line. Crazy. Fucking ridiculous for a three-hour... I mean, you call it extravaganza, but... And the Rams is really interesting, too, because they've only just moved to LA and they still haven't really got a stronghold of a supporter base there, so... It's very interesting. I mean, in that in that conference championship game, 49ers crowd was half of the stadium. So you yeah. So yeah. 
So just quickly, a couple of other really interesting things going on in the NFL we won't talk about now, but there's, I mean, it's big stuff too. So the Washington football team now have a name. The Commanders. Yes, yes. Mm. I don't know why they chose a militaristic title when the name was already problematic. So I've seen people on Twitter say, oh, great. So they picked the title of the people that basically took the land. Yeah, good job. So, yeah. The freaking Washington sex pests. But I did see a funny, speaking of, I did see a funny, and you're like, where are you going with, with this? He's like, Pittsburgh have the terrible towels. We have the comrades. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I don't God. know who tweeted that, but it was pretty funny. Oh, dear. And then you'll big stuff going on with a lawsuit. Brian Flores potentially risking his career in the NFL. We'll talk about that when more comes out. And now, this week in sport history. February 7th, 2015, in one of the more unusual games of high school basketball you would ever hear about, Bibb County defeated Brookwood High School 2-0. Yep, you heard that correctly. 2-0. Brookwood had beaten Bibb County early in the season 40-36, but this was a very different affair indeed. This was Brookwood's fourth game in a week, and in the previous game, some of their players had been cramping up in the fourth quarter, so they decided to rest during the game as much as possible. Bibb scored on the opening possession of the game when Brandon Rutledge put back an offensive rebound after one of their guards missed a three, and then the craziness started. Brookwood began running their Princeton offense, constant motion, backdoor cuts, screens, on and off the ball, that kind of thing, except no one was cutting to the basket, or even looking to score. Bibb was in a zone defense, and Brookwood kept trying to lure them out of it, but Bibb had the lead. Why would they change anything? Brookwood coach Thad Fitzpatrick instructed point guard Zach Lee to just hold the ball, and Bibb coach Russ Wallace was happy to let them. Wallace was sure that Brookwood was just messing around, but no, they weren't. Now, it is very much worth noting at this point that the state of Alabama did not have a shot clock for high school basketball. Brookwood missed a shot at the end of the first quarter, then had possession to start the second, which they dribbled out before missing another shot at the end of the half, leading to a scoreline of 2-0 at the main break. Wallace decided at halftime, to hell with it, we can play this game too. So Bibb's point guard dribbled out the entire third quarter before clanging one to end it. Brookwood started the fourth with possession, and the dribbling began again. With 15 seconds left in the game, Brookwood turned the ball over and Rutledge went for a dunk to put the cherry on top of a pretty average Sunday, or perhaps an olive on a shit sandwich. <laughs> but lost control of the ball, giving Brookwood's Dave Jenkins a chance to fire up a 30-footer at the buzzer, which was off the mark. Both coaches were surprisingly positive after the game. Fitzpatrick was quoted as saying, think of it this way, we held them to two points. Two. What more could you possibly ask for? Maybe a win or an entertaining game? Holding to nothing. (laughs) While Wallace made the point to his players that they had done the unthinkable and shut out a team for an entire game. This was the lowest scoring game in US high school basketball since Durham Hillside beat Roxborough Person in North Carolina in 1977 and was the first recorded game in Alabama where both teams were in single figures for scoring, aside from forfeits, which are listed as 1-0. Suffice to say, it inspired discussion about the need for a shot clock. A few days after the game, Michael Williams, former student of Wallace's and an offensive tackle with the Detroit Lions, messaged Wallace simply saying, really, coach? 2-0? Really? Something new we wanted to try out this week, and it's a very happy birthday to two top-quality female athletes. A happy 49th birthday to former professional basketballer Michelle Brogan and happy 32nd birthday to American professional surfer Bethany Hamilton. So why are we highlighting these two? Because we've run out of stuff. uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for me, Brogan was one of my favourite players growing up, even though she played for my team's biggest rival in the WNBL. 
And Hamilton's probably one of the most inspirational athletes out there, full stop. Oh, no kidding. Crazy story. So starting with Brogan. So as a kid living and growing up in Perth, there were really only two basketball teams I supported early on, the Perth Wildcats and the Perth Breakers, as they were known then. The Breakers had this amazing team back then, led by Michelle Timms and Robin Maher. They even had a young Tully Crook, later Tully Bevilacqua, and they won the 1992 championship under Tom Maher before Guy Malloy took over. Anyway, we had a number of rivals growing up, but for some reason, the Adelaide Lightning were the ones I just I struggled with the most. They had this crazy team led by Rachel Spawn. She always seemed to take over games, but I think Michelle Brogan was the most important player on that team. She had this ridiculous iconic move where she would come to a jump stop and take this really good step through for a layup or whatever it happened to be. The Brogan signature. The yeah. Brogan signature. Yep. And for whatever reason, nobody could stop her. And it always came up in really big high pressure situations that she would make this play. She was a massive part of Adelaide's three-peat in the mid-90s, including a finals MVP in 96, and also as part of the Sydney Flames Championship in 1997. She represented Australia at the Women's World Championships in 94, the Atlanta Olympic Games in 96, where they took out the bronze, the Sydney Olympic Games in 2000, where they took out silver, and then a couple of other world championships in 1998 and 2002. To round it out, she played this amazing little two-season cameo with the Phoenix Mercury, averaging eight and a half points and four rebounds a game and 1.3 steals. Yeah, well, had the WNBA been a bit bigger a bit earlier, she probably would have played most of her career there, but it was just the timing. It was, it was. She shot a very handy clip. She was 50% from the field, just under 40 from three as well. So an amazing player, someone I always wish the Perth Breakers could have coaxed across. Now, Bethany Hamilton's story starts earlier than most. She was already a surfing phenom by the age of 13, when a 14-foot tiger shark took her entire left arm off. Now, along the way to the hospital, she lost 60% of the blood in her body, went into hypervolemic shock. Amazingly, though, at the hospital, she was actually taken into the operating theatre that her father was meant to be going into for knee surgery. Wow. So, I didn't yeah, know that, or I forgot that. Doing that for the family. Crikey. It would have been so easy for her to just play the whole woe is me card, especially in a sport where balance is such a massive part of what you do. But yet she was back in the water a month later. And within two years, she actually won her first national surfing title. Absolutely inspirational. At 17, she achieved her dream of surfing professionally. And along the way, she placed third at the Roxy Pro on the Gold Coast at age 18. She finished 14th in the world for the year. So a pretty impressive ranking for somebody with one arm. Yes. She placed second at the World Junior Championships in Sydney in 2009 and placed first at the 2014 Surf and Sea Pipeline Pro at Banzai Pipeline in Hawaii in 2014. It's one of those ones, the more you think about it, the more it defies belief. It does. Go and watch some video because it's crazy. I mean, you... Pushing up like... Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Now, I'm a massive fan of the TV show The Amazing Race and she and her husband Adam appeared on season 25 of the show. The obvious questions emerged early about how well she could do given this big disadvantage. I'm using air quotes on this. It was that little a hindrance that they actually came third overall in the race. They were leading coming into the final challenge. Wow. They were doing that well. They won three legs. They came second another four times. They absolutely kicked its ass. And she was in everything. And a lot One of, of the best teams. Teams, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. She Honestly, I remember watching this and just thinking, a lot of these people are struggling to do these tasks with, with two. And she's got one. Yep. Yep. Oh, inspirational. There's no better word. Just crazy. That is it. Two very, very inspirational athletes and a happy birthday to them both. Indeed. This week in sport history. So, Shui, the NBL continues to be very interesting. We'll get to the Matt Hodgson stuff soon, but we'll talk about some other stuff first. Tassie, four in a row in the top four. Yeah. Can I make the finals? 
Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> we will get to that. So, yeah, look, another crazy week of upsets, big scores. And, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Tazzy, we, we absolutely have to talk about there. I'll quickly run through the six games that have happened since we, we spoke last. So, Tazzy 77 defeated Sydney 70. Cairns 102 beat Brisbane 94. Perth 101 defeated Southeast Melbourne 79. Sydney 84 defeated the Breakers 65. Tassie again 94 defeat Melbourne 85. And Southeast Melbourne 88 defeat Illawarra 87 in a cracker. Absolute cracker. And New Zealand back in the bad ways, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. But let's talk about the good news of the Tassie we, Jack Jumpers. We have to talk about oh, this. Magnificent. My favourite story of the entire season so far. Oh, it's great to see. And Will Magnate. He's enjoying his ball again. Yeah. And it's great to see. I seem to have this nice reverse jinx effect on players. <laughs> you really have. I talked shit about Jeremiah Martin at the start of the season. He started playing well. Tyler Harvey's maybe the only one. No, well, I mean, he had a decent game over He's the gone, weekend as yeah, well. But yeah. yeah, Will Magno's picked up. Luke Travers went berserk from three over the weekend. Yes, he did. He so, did. yeah. Did you know that no Tasmanian team has ever been this high on the ladder after round 10 of a season? Really? Launceston was fifth at the end of round 10 in 81, and the Tassie Devils were sixth at the end of round 10 in 87, 88. Ah, uh, because the playoffs were more expanded. They were 16 teams or whatever. That is the highest they've ever been. That's still, wow. that is a crazy stat. That is a crazy stat. That's fantastic. And it kind of makes no sense that they're good in a way, because if you look at it, they're dead last in points per game, dead last in field goal percentage, free throw percentage as well. They're second last in rebounding. And how's this? Will Magne still is averaging less than six shots a game. So although he is contributing, he's not getting a lot of shots at the rim. Well, it's what he's doing on the defense. And there's a play that I'll talk about in a minute, but it's some of the stuff that he's doing off the ball as well that is really important. And the fact that he's at least a lob threat now. Oh, big time. Well, he had two in that fourth quarter against Sydney that were huge. Yeah, yeah huge. So I guess, look, looking at the four games, in fact, looking at the whole season for them so far, They've made the most of a pretty favourable draw, it has to be said. They played the game against Melbourne over the weekend. That was the first game they've played outside the Apple Isle since round three. Wow. Which is a a very, very good run. They they had an away game against New Zealand that was played at home. They've used that time to get more comfortable and kind of work out a lot of their sets and and all of that sort of stuff. You're starting to see a little bit more control from the likes of Josh Majette and Josh Adams. It's been well documented that their arena is kind of a bit old and rickety like a rec center. They've got horrible rims, all of that sort of stuff. Hmm. But their defense is kind of ratcheted up. And I think that's where... That's their identity. That's it. Yeah, definitely. As you mentioned, Will Magne is sort of coming to his own. He started blocking shots. They generate more steals and create more turnovers than any other team in the league. So that's kind of where they're getting a a lot of those extra shots and those extra attempts. They've given up fewer points than any other team out there as well. So it is... Yeah, it's a very much a team that kind of plays that constricted defense and they're going to play their games in the 70s. That's just what happens when you don't have a talented team. Hey, wins are wins, aren't they? Mm. But obviously this win over United, and look, the Sydney win was very impressive. It was sort of as impressive for them as it was unimpressive for Sydney. The Kings are in a shambles, aren't they? Well, you just don't know what you're going to get from Yeah, them. yeah, it's but, incredible. But we'll talk about Sydney in a second as well. Yeah, this win over United, this is very much the jewel in the crown. Because, you know, I've heard a lot of people asking, who have they beaten? Well, this is a pretty big scalp. Oh, a team that had won, what, eight on the trot or something? Supplanted from top spot? Huge. Yeah. So Chris Golding, Joe Luala Chul, they basically just said, you two are going to get yours. That's fine. And, and JLA had a massive yeah, game. He we, nearly had a 20-20. We did, 29 and 21. Oh, it was too, yeah. Was, yeah. That's right, yeah, yep. 
And so they just kind of looked at it and said, all right, well, we, we trust that not one else is really going to go off. Caleb Agada was off. He has been average. Uh, I think I heard on the NBL Pocket podcast on the drive here, he's averaging seven points a game in his last four games. Yeah. He, yeah, he had that kind of little blip, but he's a little bit disappointing. He, he has been. Yeah. Delhi was okay, not amazing. And David Barlow looks injured. So well, he's pretty old too. Well, he is, but, I mean, he, but yeah. you know, he's he's not right. Oh, five from the field, and then they got eleven points from Shea Ely and Mason Peatling off the bench, and that was it. I would ask the question: How much could they use? And look, we've spoken about Scotty Hobson. I think the perfect person for Melbourne United right now is Udai Barber. Yeah, well, he's he's over in the US. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, he would be. I mean, they they need. I think Scotty Hobson would be bloody good too. They need scoring punch. They need wing scoring. That's yeah, what they yeah, need. Yeah. And they're not getting it right now. So, yeah, it's it's crazy. If, if you look at the bench for Tassie, though, as a, a perfect comparison, Mikhail McIntosh kind of seems to be figuring it out a little bit. I mean, he's been very underwhelming all season, but he was getting to the rim. He was exploring. Sometimes made... guys just need to learn their roles. Yeah. He and made, maybe he settled into his role. And he made some shots. Yep. It's amazing what happens when that ball goes in. Oh, yeah, it's huge. Sam McDaniel, better shot selection. Fabian Krislovich hit some big shots. And for, for this game, it wasn't all about Adams and Majet. Jack McVeigh was huge. So, you know, if you look at that, McVeigh and McIntosh both had more shots than Majet and Adams, which probably hasn't happened all season. And they were just smarter. I, I saw a really good tweet, and I have to mention this, like, I, I don't know who it was from, and I apologize for that, but this is the Magne play I was talking about. So that massive three that Jack McVeigh hit with a minute left in the game to bring it to a four-point game, one of the things that wasn't mentioned before Josh Adams made the pass was a really strong cut that Magne made, and it dragged McVeigh's defender down and left him wide open. So just those little things oh, that, yeah, yeah. that guys are doing now. Playing, the one percenters. Yeah, playing for each other. I'd still like to see Magne get a few more rebounds. He's only averaging about five a game, mm. but he's definitely trending up. He is. Definitely. So you asked it before, Knife, and I'll ask you, are the Jack Jumpers legitimate playoff threats? I'll hedge a little. So I'll say they could, but I don't think they will. So I think, I think a lot has to go right, especially because there'll be more road games than home games coming up, as you mentioned. But hey, if all goes right, yes, they could. I'm going to ask you a follow-up question to that then. Their next four games are the Phoenix away, Illawarra away, Brisbane away, and Perth at home. What number out of those four games would change your thinking on that? That's a huge test, isn't it? It really is. You've got three of the top four teams arguably in the league. They're, they're probably hoping for two and two. They'd be happy with two and two, I would suspect. Would that change your mind about them making the four? I, I think they can. I don't think they will, but I think they can. Yeah. I mean, clearly, they're already in the four. So, yeah. But no, I, I think other teams are... I think the talent of some of the teams below them will rise. They'll, they, they Don't underestimate the burden of expectation as well. So the more you win, the more people expect you to win, the more you kind of get potentially a bit tense in your first season. So, look, they might come close, but, but no, I, I don't think they will make it. But, hey, they can, clearly. Who would have thought this after round 10? Oh, it's great. It's great for the league. It's great for Tassie. So obviously we've got Tassie that are trending up. One of the teams that is trending down is Illawarra. Oh, I can't defend them any longer. It's It defies belief. This team should be so much better. And look, their short rotation is maybe an issue. 
My goodness. But it is completely unacceptable when you're going up against a team like Southeast Melbourne who are missing Cam Glidden, Ruben Tarangi, Dane Pino, and Kyle Adnam. And, and their, their coach, coach, Simon Mitchell. Yep. So you've got four players. And also keep in mind that the Phoenix played two days earlier against the Wildcats and gave up a 21-0 run to get blown out after leading double digits in the first quarter. Oh, that, that game was incredible. It was ridiculous. So for the Hawks to come off a really poor loss to New Zealand on Wednesday, have a few days off, and then, yeah, Southeast Melbourne have to play that game right away after getting blown out at home. And look, it was only a one-point game, and Illawarra nearly won it. But, jeez, they needed that one. But it just, again, this is one of these things. The, the minutes that the starters had to play for the Phoenix... I think the only starter that didn't play like 33 minutes was Joe, Joe Che. Joe yeah. And he was, yeah, and he was kind of sharing minutes with uh, with Brandon Ashley. Yep. But Ashley already looking like a good pickup. It's got to be. He, he has his own foul troubles. Yeah, he does. But he's handy. He's handy. He does. He, he sets a really bad pick. I've got to say, at risk of kind of sitting in my rocking chair in a get off my lawn moment. Slow down. No one holds picks anymore. No. It's so annoying. No one sets a pick. Like nearly every, this is NBA as well. Nearly every pick that is set is an illegal pick because they don't hold position. They start running often before the defender comes. It's terrible. Yeah, it bothers me. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. He can be untidy at times, but he is a handy player and he will be a handy player. Well, there were two, Mark in, my words. two in the fourth quarter on consecutive possessions that were called. So yep. that, that was sort of pretty key to Illawarra getting back ahead. And the starters looked absolutely gassed. I think, obviously, the key thing is the last minute of this game. Back-to-back steals from Antonius Cleveland gave the Hawks a three-point lead. Cleveland had this rush of blood, though, and he gave up a really bad hands foul with about 34 seconds oh, left. what was he thinking? Xavier Munford, about 30 feet from the basket, not even looking like shooting. Oh. And it fouled him out of the game. Yeah. Two free throws. Munford goes up. He's a very good free throw shooter. He makes both. And then they come back down the other end. Pretty average floater from Tyler Harvey. They give up another foul on Mumford firing up a wild three at the buzzer. I've got to say, Mumford's intentional miss was magnificent, wasn't it? That was like a textbook intentional miss because it was only like 1.3 seconds left or something. Well, look, as much as I don't particularly love the guy, you've got to actually give credit to Mitch Creek on that one because Mitch Creek came up behind him and said miss the time. Ah, okay. Yeah, he said yeah. miss it. Like no, one... I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, the no. commentators were talking about it, but yeah. No, yeah. he did. He came straight up to him and said, miss it. There's one second left. They're going to have to fire it up. And Speaking of the commentators, by the way, did you hear Gazy say that Illawarra have four imports? He didn't even mince his words. He was like, Jessup is an import. They have four imports. And Jack Heverin, I think it was, was he the one? And he was like, oh, I kind of gave him an opportunity. He was like, no, they've got four imports. What about the Kings with Didi Lazada? Well, I guess, well, and this is of any, he, he was saying that Jessup is not your typical next. So you didn't remember hearing this in commentary? No. He was saying that Jessup wasn't your typical next star. He'd gone through an entire four years of college, which is different to Didi. So there are differences. Yeah. Yeah, but you're an import or you're not. You're either from overseas or you're from Australia, New Zealand. Well, he's, he's been, or Oceania. He's been drafted. Well, yeah. 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 Well, it was I an mean, interesting, it was I mean, an interesting call. Lazada's Brazilian. That's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's an international player. I yeah. don't know. I, I think you've just got to make it black and white. You're either, yeah, Oceania slash Asia, if you want to extend to, to Asia, fair enough. Or you're not. Well, I think I think the comment is more maybe the next star parameters need to be shifted a little bit. Potentially, yeah. 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 That, that's fair enough. Yeah. But I think part of the reason Cleveland, so Cleveland and Tyler Harvey, I think are two and three on the steals. Yes. Ladder. So I think that's so that this is a double edged sword with Cleveland with that reach because he backs himself defensively every time. And I always talk about their length and athleticism. 
and he'd caused two steals on And that's right, exactly, yeah. exactly. He was playing quite well defensively throughout the course of the game. But yeah, no, not a good finish. Not a good finish no. for the Hawks. And this is the thing. So the foul that occurred on that three-pointer at the end, sometimes you just got to put a hand up and say, right, if he makes it, tip your hat, well done. You never want to give a guy a chance to shoot three free throws to make two. That's just... It's a recipe for disaster. And they were lucky that there was still time on the clock with the challenge as well. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, this is it. Now, we haven't actually said much great about Ryan Brokoff this season, but we do have to talk about his... Dennis life. Rodman. His, yeah. 16 rebounds. My mm. gosh. Yep. How tall is he? Maybe 6'6". Six, six. Bigger than that, maybe 6'7". Yeah. Is he that tall? Oh, okay, okay. But still, that's tall. in 10-minute quarters. He probably looks shorter because he's out shooting threes all the maybe, time. Maybe, yeah, but... standing on the perimeter. But, yeah, uh, fantastic. But we always hear teams talk about what are you bringing to the table if you're not scoring? And this is a really good start for Brockhoff because he ain't done much scoring this season. And on the flip side of that, Tyler Harvey's only averaging about three assists a game. Yeah. And and he's had a pretty poor start, as you've mentioned several times. You've even wanted to tweet at him, I believe. <laughs> but you've got to find ways. You're right. You've got to find ways to impact the game. And I'd like to see Tyler maybe lift his assist numbers a bit because I think he was... 16th in the league or something when I checked today. It was pretty low. Yeah. So, yeah, there'd not be, good. There'd be guys ahead of him that shouldn't be. Yeah, oh, definitely. When you talk about that tweet, he did mention basically on Twitter that I think it was like keep going to keep grinding, that sort of thing. And I, I'd actually typed out a tweet to him saying, hey, man, like tough loss last night, really great game. Stick to that floater game. Get to the free throw yeah, line yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and shoot your floater. And the three balls, man, just... Unless you're on fire, stick to the catch and shoot. Don't go, you know, this herky-jerky stuff. And I tweeted, I had the whole thing typed out and I thought, nah, because that'll probably bite us in the ass. <laughs> so, yeah, so I deleted all that. Very interesting to see Sam Froling getting benched to start the game for this one. Well, I think Gorge was just trying to mix it up because they've been so disappointing of late and he was just trying to find any recipe to try and... I mean, Froling actually played quite well off the bench because when he was injected into the game, he did some good things. Yep. Took it to the rack hard. So, yeah. Yeah. But Scary times for Illawarra. Still. They've dropped out of the four. AJ Ogilvy, Emmett Nah, Isaac yep. White combined three minutes of playing time. Are they on a minutes restriction or something? Oh, it's like, bizarre, isn't it? I, I just, I don't understand how you can't find more than three minutes for those guys. Yep. It's, yeah. I, I am incredibly worried about Illawarra. They've got some tough games coming up. And I'll tell you what, if the Jack Jumpers beat them, They've they've been very disappointing. Okay, again, they did have a very close game against the Phoenix, but wow. But you've got to be smarter. You should finish that. It shouldn't even get to that No, point. it shouldn't have. You're playing against a team that is missing nearly half, half of its day. rotation. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Terengi hasn't been spectacular, but they're, but Adnan, they're handy players. Adnam's a really key Backup base. point guard. Yeah, yeah. Dame, yep. Dame Pino is a very, very decent backup as well. And their coach. So, yeah, I, it's disappointing. Speaking of disappointing, Brisbane. What the hell has happened to them? This they started it. so well. Well, again, it's the inconsistent form line. It's all over the shop. But they started the season so well, winning in Perth in double OT. It's just turned to shit for them. Now, I know that they were missing Nathan Sobey over the weekend. That's that's a big loss. It is, a, it is. It is. They don't look anywhere near as defensively. Well, he was a borderline MVP candidate for a lot of last season. Yeah. He's a big player to miss. They, they look they look crap compared when you've got Tanner Krebs and Jason Kadee. Yeah, but as well as Kadee's been playing this season. This is what I said at the start of the season, though. I don't see anything in Brisbane that says to me that they are going to contend. And sure enough, we're starting to see this. I mean, 
look what happened in this game. So we're talking about the, the game against Cairns. Now, Cairns is missing Scott Machado, Nate Jarwai, Kwart Noy, Mirko Jerich, and Jared Kenny. So as if the freaking Southeast Melbourne outs weren't big enough, that's even more. Oh, it's astonishing. An astonishing result. And yet somehow Brisbane at home find a way to basically shit the bed. Robert Frank should have had 50 in that game. <laughs> Seriously. He had four, uh, 14 at quarter time yeah. and he finishes with 22. What, what are they doing? Post, well, post him up. They're letting Bull Kowal score eight threes. Joining Anthony Stewart and Simon Black as the only type fans to ever do so. Where the hell did he come from? Anthony Stewart? Yeah. Finished up there. So so both the other guys were ex-Wildcats. Well, remember we used to joke about Cairns yeah, being where Wildcats... You know, Dewey Michaels, there was, a, there was a few... Stephen Way, I think, played Stephen there at one Way point. Stephen Way did play up yeah. there. Yep. Yeah. Friend of the show, Alex Lowe. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. So, Save yeah. the best for last. And Nate Jarwai as well. So there you go. And Jared, yeah, well, well Jarwai was Jared, there first. And Jared Kenny. Yeah, and so Jarwai was there first. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, we yeah. used to joke about Cairns being the retirement home for Perth Place. Hmm. But if you look at it now for Brisbane, they're sitting ninth. Cairns, oh, it's... Cairns are ahead of them. Wow. Adelaide are ahead of them. We know the Jack Jumpers And Tassie are ahead of them. Yeah. This round is massive for them. Adelaide at home and Sydney away. If they lose both of those, top four's out of the question. But yes, let's, let's talk about Cairns. Cairns is the huge positive in this. This is one of the best next man up games I reckon I've ever seen. Bull Kowal, honestly, like we, we knew he could shoot. He was, uh, I think, a 40% three-point shooter in college. But 8 of 10, that is absolutely a coming out party for him. Adam Ford, man. I reckon he's underrated. Oh, absolutely. He's an inspirational coach. Anyone outside of Sydney can be a better coach. But yeah, he's <laughs> he has been exceptional. Well, I, I don't know. He was okay in Sydney, I think. Oh, yeah. He was treated. Sydney's just a, it's just a shit environment well, for a coach. Yeah. It is. The crumbles. Yes. But then, yeah, Majok Dang. 26 points. Tajir McCall was an absolute menace. Four steals to go with 19 points, eight boards and six assists. He leads the league in assists. Yeah. Leads the league. Not even a point guard. Makes sense. No Scott Machado. The high, true, true. High, high usage rate. The ball's in his hands more. Yeah. He is a base defensively. Love to watch him play. Keanu Pinder was awesome. 11 and seven. Another Hell, good defensive player too. Even Marshall Nelson. Fuck, not Marshall Nelson. Not many people outside of Victoria would have known too much about this guy. He had a nice little cameo, six points on two massive threes in the last sort of five and a half minutes of the game. And that took a lot of the wind out of the, the sails of Brisbane, really. And speaking of the anti, anti-jinx, Stephen Zimmerman. Stephen Zimmerman, he, man, <laughs> he, he had a game. He did. He was a beast on the boards. He finished at the rim. Yep. Like, that's the sort of Zimmerman I want to see. Yep. And I'm not saying this stuff to be a dick. It's just these are the observations I'm making. Yeah. Plain and simple. And as soon as, look, I'm a very fair guy. If someone that I've talked shit about turns it around and plays awesome like that, I'm happy to put my hand up and say, good on you, Stephen. Like, keep that shit up. Oh, of course. Of keep course. it up. So, yeah, look, two very, very different <laughs> teams there. I mean, Cairns are sort of slowly starting to trend up. Brisbane are well and truly falling off a cliff. Brisbane need to win both games this weekend. Absolutely need to. I think so. Now, we're going to give Sydney a little bit of a break this week. We've kind of already spoken about it. They were horrible against Tasmania. They were clinical against New Zealand two nights later. There's a few worrying signs. I mean, Jalen Adams has kind of... Yeah, after we... Yeah, yeah, he had a couple of poor games. They seem to be terrible away from home. They seem to be pretty decent when they're at home. But, I mean, let's... We'll maybe give them another week and kind of reevaluate next time we chat. And I guess we'll finish up with our boys, the Wildcats. Yes, indeed. What a weird game that Southeast Melbourne one was. 
at the beginning, they look like guys at a rec center that have just teamed up in a pickup game. Mm. Like, it, it... hi, my name's Luke. Oh, and then name? and then yeah. I like I, I wish I'd taken note of the scoreline after a certain point. The Wildcats must have outscored them by thirty odd. Well, it was a 20, like, 21 nothing run. Yeah. It was, I think at one stage, it was 34 to 19. And then next minute, it was like 44 to 36. Oh, it was incredible. It, it, I'm still scratching my head about that one. I, I, I can't believe the Wildcats managed to win that one. Wow. And look, defensively, they really lifted their game. Bryce started to take over a little bit as well. Luke Travers was absolutely magnificent. Wow. I, I wonder what happens if Travers misses that first three instead of making it. Butterfly effect, who knows? Yeah, does he put it back in the queue like I said he should? But, but yeah. his, his injection into that game did change things for the Wildcats. Yep. And and I do think he he needs to get minutes. Yeah. He, he's showing why Trev had so much faith in him last year. And maybe Scott didn't have enough faith in him. Maybe that's changing. And look, that's the version of Luke Travers that can play in the NBA. If that guy turns up, doesn't have to shoot four of six every game from deep. But if he can go, let's just say, I don't know, two of five. You could live with that. I think what people forget is that when we talk about the NBA, okay, our recent history is Ben Simmons, Josh Giddy. Travis could etch out a very nice career off the bench in the NBA. We're not saying he's going to be a star, but he's, he's good enough for the NBA. He is. Because he's long, he's athletic, he plays really hard. Ever since that game two semifinal game against Illawarra last season, I knew he could play in the NBA. Now, maybe he'll be a second round pick. Maybe he'll only play every third game, for example. But he can offer a team something. And he's still very young. So the Wildcats got to enjoy him while they still have him. I need to see more of that before I believe that he's an NBA player. But look, oh, he is. He is. I think he is. He's yeah. not. He's maybe not a starter. He's maybe not a star. But he, he can help an NBA team, yeah. even just scrimmaging at practice. That's fine. Look, I'm not convinced yet you are. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Youngest Wildcats, a top score since I think it was like 1995, something like that. So very, very uh, big night for Luke. Do you know who that was? Martin Catalini or something? Probably would have been Catalini yeah. or Aaron Traher, maybe someone like oh, that. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, look, he covered up for a rare off night from Vic Law and uh, a phenomenal all-round performance, though, by the majority of the Cats. Majuk Majuk still 100% from three over yes, his career. he's got good form, too. He does. Yeah. He does. Yep. So yeah, great game all around. You mentioned the Pocket Podcast blokes before. <laughs> They've just basically booked Perth a spot in the grand final. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not prepared to do, do that. Do you know what, though? They make the good point. Who Who's going to beat What are the two teams that are going to beat them? Well, and this is the thing. Sometimes I think that a lot of the Wildcats' success is simply down to the fact that they're just consistent and no other team in the NBL is. Exactly. Yeah. The- oh, look, I'm still... Look, I, yeah. I, there's a very good chance it'll be them, but I'm... St- Still not convinced. Yeah, I mean, obviously you can't. Lock, it's a bit tongue in cheek. Yeah, lock them in. I, but, I appreciate that. But at the moment, there's no, well, they're top of the ladder. There's no two. It'd be us and the Jack Jumpers at the moment. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it, it looks Perth good. and Melbourne at the moment. I but think we'll so. see what happens. I think so. So let's get to the the bullshit, the Maddie Hodgson incident. Yes, indeed. Have now, you- why do you call it the bullshit? This is interesting. Oh, look, I just don't think it's been handled very well. I think it should have been handled a lot quicker than this. Yeah, I do have an issue with the timing. Yep. The fact that we're in all likelihood going to find out the result of this the night before the game. Yep. This weekend against uh, against Melbourne, Melbourne United. Yeah, big game. Which is a it's a huge game. Top, top of, the of the table, table. clash, yep. like a proper top of the table yeah. clash. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> unlike, unlike the top of the table at Dwayne Russell. I was going to say, yeah, not that Russell. Second and third. But, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I just think the fact that this happened, what, a week and a half ago and we're at the stage where they've handed out a punishment and it's been basically said, you can challenge this. So let's go through this chronologically. What do you think of the punishment? It hadn't been handed down by the time we recorded. And incidentally, apparently what was said was very innocuous. Shane Hill came out and said that not much was said at all. So that's interesting. I assumed it was something worse, so I was wrong about that one. He was given a game with two games suspended. So three games could be three total. And so, so people are out there saying, oh, Mason Peatling got more than him. No. That's not how suspended sentences work. Mm. It could very easily turn to three. All he needs to do is be involved in a little bit of a tussle, uh, fracas, like what ensued after what happened. And there's three games. So no, anyone that thinks that his punishment was lighter than Peatling is absolutely wrong, for starters. Yeah. I was okay with three down to two. Personally, that's what I thought it should have been. But three down to one, okay, maybe they just thought, well, it's an open hand, it's not a punch. So yeah. What I don't really have a huge issue with it. I, I still think it should have been three down to two, but yeah, I and I said last week two as well. I, I was initially okay with three down to one given the suspended nature, and again, that can enact pretty quick if you don't keep your nose clean. I think it should be two or three, and I think it will be upgraded. Yeah, yeah, yep. okay, but yeah, geez, it's been handled poorly, <laughs> it really has. One of the other things that I'd like to mention is a lot of people are saying, oh, how can the NBL appeal this? Why are they appealing this? They didn't get what they wanted. And so it was meant to be an independent panel, blah, 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 blah. This is how legal systems work. This is how appeals work. I think that one member of the tribunal acted correctly. They, so we talked about the precedents that were out there. I think one game based on precedent was right. We mm-hmm. talked about the Josh Childress one, blah, 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 blah. The NBL, I think, would have appealed on the basis that community standards have changed and the precedents should no longer be valid. Or valid, yeah, because, because times change. So I think their reason for appealing is perfectly acceptable. You don't go straight to the high, a full bench of the high court on your first court case. Supreme Court. They're, well, Supreme Court in the States. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And Supreme Court in the States of Australia, but the High Court is the highest court of our land at risk of giving a civics lesson. Nathan studied law, by the way. Um, so so this is, it completely makes sense that I think that person acted correctly by following precedent. I think the NBL acted correctly to appeal it, much like the AFL did with the Toby Green thing. And I think that the full tribunal will correctly upgrade it to two or three games. So I don't have any problem with that. My only problem is with the length of time in the process. Yep. Yeah. I think it, yeah, it should have been completed by now give the Wildcats a few days to kind of get their plans together. Look, they've got to assume they're going to play the next game without him. And if he's available, well, happy days. But I've rewatched the footage and we don't want that in our game. No. I think the problem we made last week is we rewatched all the other cases and we didn't rewatch that one. And I kind of wish I were rewatched that one because my memory, for, I did say two games, but watching it again, it was a little bit worse than I remembered. And he went back. The fact that he went back, I think initially I said three is too much because it's 10% or more than 10% of the season. I'm okay with three now if that's what happens. And I think, again, I think it sets a new precedent and then that will be followed from here. When it is a one-member panel again, they will look at this precedent once it's been set. Yeah. Now, we don't have a lot of time. We've got to quickly address the Wildcats 40th anniversary team. I think, look, all the names on the list are amazing, but I do have a few problems with the process. I don't know how you feel. Oh, yeah. Look, the process was... 
I think, very flawed. Yeah, and hearing the way that uh, John Case... Yeah, that was really... Like, yeah, Case, Case was talking about yeah, how yeah. He, he didn't really listen to the criteria and he just picked... Well, the criteria was crap, don't you think? Yeah. Like, so the criteria was, for those that don't know, if you were basically playing a game for your life with every Wildcats player of all time, pick the best team. Which is stupid because we've already seen that Scott Fisher is, you know, whiter than a cloud. So he can't play right now. Oh, <laughs> see what you mean. Yeah. Half of these <laughs> he games, went grey pretty young. He was a bit like Gazy. There's, there's not a single player here except for Bryce Cotton who is still active in Australia. Nick Kay is well, overseas. Okay. Yes, but-, yeah. but at their peak. But, but I think it should have been for service to the club. So I think, one, it should have been a 12-man rotation, a 12-man roster. Yeah, yeah. You can't have 10. I mean, there's more than 10 in a team in a game. So why would you limit it to 10? Yeah. And then Jesse Wagstaff's about to play his 400th game. You can't find him on the team? You that's can't, a- yeah. Well, but that's another reason why if you have a 12-man roster, I think Jesse and Mike Ellis probably make up the last two spots. I think so, and that would be very fair. And Matty Knight probably a bit unlucky to miss out. Well, it's so funny you say that because those, those are the two guys I had which were kind of... You know, the snubs, I guess, so to speak. If you're looking at Kevin Lish versus Mike Ellis purely on talent, then yeah, Lish is definitely the better player. But he only played a couple of... Yes, he won a championship. Yes, he won an MVP. And Ellis did more, I guess, for the Wildcats and for the organisation and for WA basketball in general. And I love Nick Kay. I'm a massive fan of his. I was devastated when he left, but he only played a couple of seasons too. Again, championship let, winner. Let, let me just, yeah. Let he, me was, just, he was key. I don't actually have a problem with that. Let, but. Yeah, let me address the Nick Kay thing. So he averaged 15, 8, and 3 and shot well over 50% from the field, 40% from 3, 46% from 3 in his second season. Oh, he was huge. All NBL first team both seasons and yep. huge in Perth winning championships both years. That's kind of where I look at it. And yeah, I say, yep. Like, don't get me wrong. Jesse Wagstaff has been one of the great servants of the Wildcats. He's been a huge part of so many championships. I think longevity has to... Play. They, sh- they should have made it more than 10. And they really fell away there. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah. Again, K is the better player. Yep. Wagstaff, longevity, yep. willing to stick with the club. All and well, and number of championships. Yeah. And he's been a key contributor on several championships. So, yeah. But Nick K did help the Boomers win a bronze medal. Well, that's very important <laughs> for the 40th anniversary of the world. So we owe it to him. <laughs> no, it's... Look, it's really hard. I mean, you could also make the same argument about Paul Rogers. Yeah, yeah. Rogers, okay, again, huge in that 2000 championship series against the Titans, but does he have the the full body of work the same way that Matty Knight does? Yep. Pro- probably not. Yeah, no, that's another really difficult one. So, yep. yeah, you could very easily argue Lish, K and Rogers for Ellis, Wagstaff and Knight. So, yeah, yeah it, yep. it's, it is tough. And yeah. I, maybe it wasn't handled amazingly, but look, that 10 looks pretty decent on paper. Oh, and for goodness sake. Retire Sean Redditch's jersey already. Yep. Crikey. Yep, absolutely. Retire Damos while you're at it. Well, I agree, and it will happen, but he hasn't been retired as long as Redditch. So there's no, normally a bit of time has to go under the bridge. Doesn't matter. Water under the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. So, Nath, on the topic of snubs, we have to talk about the NBA All-Star Reserves. Yes. So I'll quickly run you through them, and I'll be very interested to see what your thoughts are on the snubs. So the Eastern Conference Reserves, Darius Garland, Fred Van Vliet, Jimmy Butler, James Harden, Zach Levine, Chris Middleton, and Jason Tatum. For the West, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic, Draymond Green, Carl Anthony Towns. Look, I'll be honest, as I always am on this, I haven't watched a hell of a lot of NBA yet. I don't start watching the NBA until kind of... Two months ago? Well, 
I watch bits and pieces. I mean, I ramp up. Like when by the end of the season, I watched every game from the second round onwards. Mm. So once we get to the end, I watch a lot, a lot. But with the uh, and it was big with the Ashes, and then obviously the NFL and blah 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 blah. So I kind of budget my time with NBA ramping up. So I haven't seen a hell of a lot. I watch on average one game a week. So it's hard for me to say too much. The general consensus seems to be that Chris Middleton was maybe a bit lucky to get in. Yeah. But look, it's a pretty good list. Feel great for Garland and Van Vliet as guys that are a bit younger. Making their first All-Star Yeah, yeah. And it is worth noting as well, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green won't be able to play for injuries. So Lamelo Ball's made his first appearance. And DeJounte Murray from your Spurs has made it as well. Yeah, that's. I, I'll be honest, I didn't even know that had happened. So good on him. Yeah, oh. and he's played very well. So yeah. Oh, he yeah. has. So I did want to just quickly mention something. Kevin Pelton, I think, had the best description of this. At some point, snub changed from meaning an intentional dismissive oversight to being used to describe any player who doesn't get picked. Maybe for some, but I always refer to a snub as an egregious decision. So, yeah. But, may, yeah, probably for many it is. Well, yeah. More so, I guess, looking at what the internet is all about. Yeah, all these yeah. people on forums saying, oh, Thaza Pachulia should have made it. He's such a snub. Oh, I've got to mention on that, actually. I had that wrong last week. I My memory was that the voting corrected itself but you were right the nba brought that rule in mid voting yeah, yeah. so i i didn't realize that so yeah didn't want to talk over the top of you but you know <laughs> i know a couple of things no nah. <laughs> you're allowed to correct me when i'm wrong nah, you're, you're fine so yeah you're right i think chris middleton's probably the one that's getting a lot of a lot of mentions his numbers are down on last year the bucks are probably underperforming a little bit oh definitely i think that's probably the main one and i, I think what i would have liked to have seen is someone like jared allen getting a lot of the recognition that he deserves well cleveland are a couple of games off top seed they are they're a game and a half outside yeah. of top seed they're also two and a half i think or maybe three and a half games out of a play-in but still you well the East is very it, interesting. It is very packed. <laughs> yeah, but you could very much make the case that, yeah, a Cleveland side that is well and truly overperforming probably deserves a couple. And yep. whilst Allen's numbers maybe don't sort of jump off the page at you, well, neither did Draymond Green's. And the stuff that he does inside, the shots that he changes. Oh, it shouldn't be all about numbers. As you know, I'm a massive eye test guy. It shouldn't be all about numbers. So, well, yeah. I mean, it's clearly not. Draymond, yeah. Draymond Green averaged 7-7-7 seven, seven, and seven this season. Well, and winning is important too. So being on one of the top teams in the West is huge. Yeah. So I, I think Allen's probably the really unlucky one, especially when you consider that there's not a single player on that Eastern Conference bench over six foot eight. So, okay, we're going to see a lot of... Basically, oh, it's an exhibition. Number. Yeah, we're yeah. going to see a lot of a lot of lineups of five guys that look exactly the same, which is I don't know. I'm not a big fan of that. I like well, to I'm see. I'm not a big fan of the All Star game. Well, so. I know you're not, but I, I still you still like to see positions and, and all that sort of stuff. So that's that's not great. Now that DJ's in, I might have to watch. You have to. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, that's time I could be spending watching a real game like NBL or something, a game that counts for something. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Look, in the West, before all of this stuff happened, you would have said, look, a lot of people saying Anthony Davis, he didn't play enough games for me. No, you, no, no. You no. can't bring him in there. No, not this season. DeJounte Murray was probably the first big one. So he initially was paying the price, I guess, for the Spurs being And we average. talked about Zach Lowe last week. Yep. But that's all good. Jaron Jackson Jr. is maybe a bit unlucky. He's probably the one I would fight for. Second in the league in shot blocking. Massive part of Memphis being third in the West. Okay, he's not shooting an amazing clip. Ja Morant's actually averaging the same amount of rebounds a game as he is. But well, Ja's an MVP candidate. Yeah, but I, I think what Jackson Jr. is doing for that Memphis team right now, he has made such a big leap. 
he's not quite at the Carl Anthony Towns level yet, but yeah, he's well and truly on his way right now. And and yeah, look, I said Draymond Green was probably the one that was kind of tricky. He'd missed 19 games. His numbers are a bit meh, but... It was probably a bit lucky. Yeah, but he's an eye test guy and he does all those intangibles for the Warriors. So, But yeah, I mean, going back to the Kevin Pelton thing, they're not intentional. They're not dismissive. They're just guys that didn't get picked because 19 or 20 doesn't go into 12. Yeah, well, we just had this conversation about the Wildcats, basically. Yep. Whenever you're picking best of teams, a few guys will be stiff. Pretty simple. So as always, running out of time quickly, we'll look at the trades after the deadline and we'll look at it in its kind of holistic sense rather than... And there have been a few and there's been some interesting ones, but we'll we'll come back to that. Yep. So now a couple of things I wanted to just quickly throw at you before we, uh, before we round this one out. In Philly, sometimes they play a game in the breaks between the quarters where a person's at a virtual blackjack table and they have to try and beat the dealer. Last week, a guy was given an eight, then a five. That's 13. Yep. He says hit. He gets a four. 17. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's tricky. He says hit again. Gets a three. 20. Oh, no. Hit. Oh, no. He says hit. Oh, I also like to live dangerously. He gets a jack and busts. Oh, man. Oh, dear. But if he got an ace. Oh, oh, man. That's like, do you remember that noughts and crosses halftime game where the lady could have won and put it? Oh, my God. Especially like twice. A A couple of crazy stats to round things out. So the day after we recorded, it was 2 slash 2 slash 22. Richie Benno. In the US. Yes. Desmond Bain, who wears number 22, shot 22.2% from the field, had two assists, two steals, two blocks, two turnovers, and two fouls. Too good. Thankful, yeah, well, thankfully the Grizzlies won by 12. <laughs> now, I wish I could remember what platform it is. I think it's, I want to say Instagram. Julius Randall has unfollowed the Knicks on Instagram or Twitter or whatever it is. But the fact that he's unfollowed is massive. It's official. Kyler Murray's done it with the in the NFL with the Cardinals too, by the way. Dwayne Wade trolling Isaiah Thomas. So he took a photo of Jimmy Owl's gym for men, five, eight and below. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha, fam. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's brutal. He's five, nine. We talked about this last week. And then lastly, Tim Duncan has more wins than the Timberwolves. He's been retired for six years and they were in the, the league before him. 1,158 for Timmy, 979 for the T-Wolves. Is that in the league a decade before Yeah, yeah, him, a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a Vince Carter stat, which I think is going to blow your mind because it blew my mind. All right. On the day he retired, Vince Carter had played in an NBA game against 37% of all of the players in the entire history of the league. Do you know the only reason you haven't blown my mind? I think we used this similar stat last year when it happened. I don't remember that. Yeah, well, I remember a crazy Vince Carter longevity stat that we used. Well, there's longevity in terms of him playing no, across but like, four decades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's yeah. three out of every eight Oh, it's players. incredible. Yeah, yeah. Well, across four decades, like you say. Yeah, that's nuts. But like, like the league goes back yeah, to yeah, the yeah. 50s yeah. and the 40s. Oh, it's like, nuts. It is yeah. nuts. No doubt. Wow. Goodness me. All right, Stewie, you know what that music means. What are you at for? I mean, do we even really need to ask the question? It's it's obviously the big football game over the weekend. The National League South game between Bath City and Dorking Wanderers. Oh, yeah, the mighty talks. Can 15th place Bath City topple the ladder leaders? Time will tell. Oh, indeed. How about yourself, mate? Well, obviously the Super Bowl. We'll be heading down to the Inglewood to enjoy the festivities there. They always put on a very good spread. Nothing like getting tanked before midday. <laughs> I wish I could. I've got the quiz. Perth and Melbourne United will be very good. 
but I'm also very interested in that Sydney-Brisbane game. That's a massive game for both teams. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.